Just lift your hands if you're comfortable with that. Just lift your hands. Just close your eyes. Let's just re-engage the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you this morning. The Holy Spirit that lives and resides on the inside of me, I yield myself to you right now. Lord, I thank you that you will think through my mind. You will help me to articulate the, the words and the, the, uh, the scripture references. What it is are the thoughts and the intents of your heart for us, your sheep, this morning. I thank you for that. I yield to the Holy Spirit within me. As an act of my will, I yield to that Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that your word is truth. Your word is the foundation upon which we build everything in our life upon. Hold your Bibles up with me. Hallelujah, Lord. We just thank you this morning. We engage you. Father, we desire for your word to be manifest to us in a greater way this morning. Lord, we desire for revelation. We desire for insight. We desire for instruction. Father, I pray that you open the eyes of our understanding that we would see things that we have never seen before. Father, because your revelation, your word is so deep, we will never know the intent of it. We will continue to learn more and more. Even when we're in heaven, we'll continue to learn more. And so, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes and reveal this word to us this morning in the name of Jesus. Are you believing with me? Say this with me. Heavenly Father, I want it. I want deeper revelation. I want insight. I want direction. I want a word from the word. And so I yield myself to the teaching ability of the Holy Spirit that resides in, the, in me and in this place. What I can't see, open my eyes. What I don't understand, reveal it to me. In the name of Jesus, I expect to receive everything, everything you have for me this morning. Hallelujah. And now I take my Bible and I declare, I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have. I am a child of the Most High King. My Father shed His Son's blood for me. If no one else had existed, He would have done it for me. I am loved, I am valued, and I was created with a purpose and a destiny. I am bright. I am smart. I am good looking. I am rich. And I am a major blessing. For it is Him that gives me the power to get wealth that I may establish His covenant upon this earth. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Just a couple of things before, before we open our Bibles and get started. Um, the children's nursery 
or Children's Church, which is the building uh, behind us here, is currently under renovation. We've got new windows installed. We're in the process of painting it. We've got the carpet tore up. We're going to be putting some new, some kind of high-tech carpet that you can spill bleach on, and it won't even, I mean, you can clean it with bleach. I mean, I don't even know what all that is about, but I said, glory to God, you need that in the children's building, don't you? So we got all that going under construction, and we should be few, we should be done in a few weeks. And so in the meantime, the children, all the children, raise your hand, all the children, there you go, the children are going to be partaking of the word with us in the church on Sunday mornings until we get all that squared away. But until that time, this second office right here in this hall is for zero, well, I shouldn't say zero, is for one day old <laughs> to five years old are back there. Now, they're cramped. We've been having somewhere between 10 and 15 kids back there, but that's a good problem to have, amen? And so at that point, when we get that building done, we're going to split that class in half, and so the three, four, and five-year-olds will be going to the back part of the children's building. Then all the children, raise your hand against children, all these kids will be meeting in the front part of that building, and then the zero to three-year-olds will be, or the zero to two-year-olds. Did I get that right? I get confused with all that. Anyway, the itty-bitty kids will meet there, the bigger kids will meet back there, and then the real big kids will meet up front. Is that good enough? Okay. Uh, one more thing. In the front of your seat, if you're visiting, or even if you're not visiting, in the front of your seat, there's a new covenant church. Sometimes we forget this. We've got a lot going on, and we've got a lot of wheels turning. Amen? And so on this, it's got what you call plug-in, get involved. And there's different areas that you can check. If you're interested in volunteering or getting involved, because how many of you know we need your help? Teamwork makes the dream work. So if you're, in, in, if, you're involved, if you're already involved, that's fine. But if you have a desire to get more involved or get involved at all, there's areas that you can check off and you, we'll, we'll contact you and, and kind of get you started in that road to get plugged in. Amen? Was it popping? Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles. Hallelujah. We are finishing up. Where we started, I want you to turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to review just a little bit, and then we'll get started. A couple of weeks ago, I started talking about a fresh start. And I felt like for the beginning of the year, the Lord wanted to say, how many of you like a fresh start? Remember when we were in school, you did a do-over? We get a do-over? Well, every year, the beginning of the year is a do-over. We get to start all over again, fresh. And actually, we read where the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. So every morning brings a whole new level of opportunity, a whole new level of mercy. And so we just get to start all over again every day. So, hey, listen, if you mess today up, the good news is, you know, 6 a.m. tomorrow starts a whole new day, so you can start it all over again. That's what, that's what we like. So what I've been trying to share and articulate is what I felt like the Lord's been wanting to say. For this year, it's a fresh start. And the first thing that the Lord said for, for us, for me this year, was to pray. But then he said, but before you start talking about prayer, there's some fundamental things I want you to talk about. Because how many of you know, if you don't approach God in the right way, you can be praying for not. You understand what I'm saying? If, you, if there are certain characteristics and um, personality 
about God that you don't understand, then when you approach God and you begin to pray to God, if you don't understand those fundamental things, your prayers won't even be heard. Because you're not praying according to the word. How many of you know in order to receive something, in order to receive the right thing, you got to follow the instructions? Well, before we approach God, we've got to understand some fundamental things about God. And so that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And what's, what's interesting is that in order, if your philosophy and your belief system does not line up with this word right here, according to the character and nature of God, then every event that happens to you, everything that comes in contact with you will be skewed. If you believe, uh, let, me, let me break it down this way. If you believe that God sits up on a throne with a stick and is waiting for you to make a mistake so he can swatch you on top of the head, then that's going to affect your prayer life. Yes or no? Now, so you got that, that, that's one side of it. The other side of it is if you believe that God is the most happy-go-lucky person in the world and that you can never do any, there's nothing, I mean just the total opposite end of the spectrum that you can just live however you want to live, la-da-da-da-da, there's no consequences, no nothing. How many of you know that also affects your prayer life, yes or no? Okay. There is a middle ground that I want you to understand and actually, both sides are true. Both sides are actually have very weighty elements of truth in them. The problem is that we interpret what we see according to one covenant or the other. We, we interpret how we relate to God through the lens of the old covenant, or we interpret how we relate to God through the lens of the new covenant. You remember the illustration I used? I used... Brother Bill's uh, eyeglasses and Brother Langston's eyeglasses. And I said, if you use Brother Langston's eyeglasses, you'll see things differently than if you use Brother Bill's eyeglasses. Two totally different. You're seeing the same thing, but they're the, the, the lens through which you look, glory to God, will shape what you see. How the clarification of what you see will be determined about what lens you're using. So if you believe that God's out to get you, it's going to affect your prayer life. Who wants to go pray to a God that's out to get them? I mean, you're afraid that if you walk in there, He might smite you. That's not the God that we serve. And so what we begin to set up was we begin to set up that there's two ways to look at things before the cross and after the cross. I don't have time to go in, into that because I want to finish, pick up where we left off and I want to hopefully finish it off. But I wanted to give you a context and a reference because we've got the messages online. You can go online and you can listen to it. But there's before the cross and after the cross. And when Jesus was on the earth and when Jesus taught, how many of you know Jesus was teaching about a covenant to come, but he was still fulfilling an old covenant? So when he said, when he said if, if you do this, Jesus many times would say, if you do this, then my Father will do this. See, that was old covenant. We found that in Deuteronomy. We found that if you, if you abide by the law, if you do these things, if you'll be quick to do these things, then these are the blessings that will follow. If you, if you, if you do these things, then him. But we came over to the New Testament and we found out that if he, which he did, then you get the benefits. That's the message that we're to preach. 
So I want you to go to John chapter 3. We're going to begin, we're going to begin there this morning. John chapter 3. Now here's the other thing while you're turning there. If, if, if the Word of God that you and I read, if we're not careful, it, it can be diluted or added to in any way. And what that does is it opens up the avenue for the tempter to come in. That's what happened to Eve. See, the Bible says in Genesis that she said that Satan came to her and he said, did God say? And she said, God said, if we touch it. God never said, if you touch it, you would die. He said, if you eat it, you will die. And what happens is man's tradition comes in and says, well, God didn't really say. And so what we do is we take that and we add to it. And then when we do the, when we add the traditions of men to it and it doesn't work or it does, we don't see the evidence of it, then we then take the next step and we violate what it is that the Scripture has said because we think that it won't work. We think that, well, if we did this, it didn't do But he didn't say that. He said this. And so you and I have to be very, very careful that we line ourselves up with this word. I can't tell you how many people I've met in my life. Come on, Mama Cleveland, you know what I'm talking about. How many people I've met in my life that don't let this be the final authority in their life. They'll say, well, I know you got four or five verses, but I remember Grandma such and such told me this. I don't care what Grandma told you. I don't care what your mama told you. I don't care what your daddy told you. I don't care what your pastor told you. The only thing I care about is whether or not what they told you lines up with this because this is it. And if what we believe, if we're not careful, what we believe doesn't line up with this, then it will skew everything else in our life and we wonder why the Word of God or things are not working in our life. John chapter 3. Are you there? I feel like I've laid enough foundation. Let's get after it. Y'all ready to shuck some corn? I was like, what? My grandmother used to say that. She used to bring that corn home. She'd be like, all right, boys, y'all ready to shuck corn? Yes, ma'am. We're going to shuck the corn of the Word. We're going to get down to the corn kernel of it. We may even cream it this morning. You don't know. We may have time to cream some corn. John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Woohoo! Everybody loves that verse, right? Read verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to what? For God did not send His Son into the world to what? But that through, but that the world through Him might be... If God did not send His Son, glory to God, if God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, then why does church Christianity make it the poster child for condemnation for sinners? That's my question. Boy, you got to, I can't believe you do that. You need to come get right. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. I'm telling you that this message is going to revolutionize. It's either going to make you mad at me or it's going to make you love me. Because I've had to eat my words. I've had to go through some changes. Because now when I see people that are sinners, stop laughing at me. Now when I see people that are sinners, it causes me to be more compassionate to them. 
When I see Christians that are jacked up six ways from Sunday, it causes me to have more compassion on them because when I'm jacked up six ways from Sunday on one day, I want His compassion and His grace and His mercy towards me. But yet the church has, we, it's like we've got badges of honor where we pride ourselves on condemning people for the way they live. Well, you ought to know better. And you should say, next time somebody says, well, you ought to know better, you ought to say, well, you should do. Because the Bible says in John 3, 17, for God did not send His Son to condemn the world, so I don't receive your condemnation. Let me tell you something. Well, what about truth, Pastor? We're supposed to speak truth to people. Yes, in love, you hard rock chisel thing, you. You could be nice. Jesus was nice. Do you want me to tell you when Jesus was real? And Jesus was never rude. But do you want me to tell you the, the times where he could be perceived to be rude? Was when he was talking to religious folk. That's when he was. Or when he was talking to his disciples because they should have known better. But when he rebuked, here's the other thing too. When Jesus would rebuke his disciples, he always did it in private. It was between them. I don't mean like it was just one-on-one. I mean, if you're going to walk with Jesus and there's 12 of you, somebody's going to get rebuked at some point in front of everybody. That's a, he never would stand up publicly. and it, The only time he did that was when they were trying to push the children away. He goes, hey, what y'all doing? Suffer not the little children to come unto me. And if any of you knuckleheads had any sense, these are the ones that are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to enter it, you've got to make yourself like them. Jesus was very, he was just a rebel. I mean, he was just anti-religion, everything. And I'm like, Jesus, help me be a rebel. I want to be a rebel. I want to be anti-religiousness. I don't want to wear a I don't I want to wear jeans. I want to be anti-religious. Not that extreme. You can get extreme. I don't want to do it not to do it, but I want to do it because the heart and the compassion of God is for all to come to the knowledge of the glory of God. God, everybody say this. God did not send Jesus to condemn me. See, now we could close our Bibles and go home right now. That's a good word right there. Everybody goes, I don't know what condemnation is. Yes, you do. You know exactly what condemnation is. You put it on yourself, and you've probably and chances are you've had family members that have put it on you. And if you don't know whether it is or not, then get with one of us after church and we'll help you figure it out. Because condemnation is. You're not worthy. You should have known better. You disgust me. Why can't you get yourself together? Listen, my toes are getting stepped on too. So if I'm going to get my toes stepped on, you're going to get your toes stepped on. Everybody say this with me. Right living cannot produce righteousness. Now some of you hit the brakes on me on that one. What you talking about, Pastor? Right living cannot produce righteousness. But righteousness can produce right living. Forgiving does not produce forgiveness. Say that with me. Forgiving does not produce 
forgiveness. But forgiveness will produce the act of forgiving. Why do you love God? Why do you love God? Because He's done so much for you? Because I'm supposed to? No. Why do we love God? Because He loved, he loved me first. See, God's always first in this equation. In the old covenant, it was, if you do these things, then God. And, he, and, and, and in, in Leviticus, when he, when he gave, not in Leviticus, in Exodus, when he gave the law for Moses, Moses came down, you know, everybody knows Charlton Heston was Moses, comes down and he gives the law. After he gave the Ten Commandments, God set up a sacrificial system for atonement once a year. So even in the Old Covenant, He knew that we cannot fulfill the laws, and so He gave us a scapegoat. He gave us a sacrificial system. And in the New Testament, that sacrificial system was once and for all, and it was Jesus Christ. Once and for all. So if the Old Covenant was based off of that, then how come we don't function like that in the New Covenant? Because religion likes to get its tentacles in and says, in order for you to be righteous, you've got to live a right lifestyle. Eh, wrong answer. If you want, how many of you want to be like the pastor's wife done said? How many of you want to be, which by the way, I'm dating the pastor's wife. How many of you want to be more righteous? It's not possible. I mean, you're not in trouble because you answered. It's not possible. How many of you want to live a more righteous lifestyle? Raise your hand. Okay? Then you want me to tell you the secret? Get your pens out. You ready? Here's the secret. The secret to living a more righteous lifestyle is to just be righteous. <laughs> Joe, you want to be more like a man? Yes. How are you going to do that? You're just going to be a man, right? You're a man. Everybody see Joe. Does he look like a woman? No. If he does, he's one ugly woman. <laughs> it would be, it would be um, insane of us to approach Joel and go, why can't you be more like a man? He is a man. The secret to being more like a man is to just be who you are. The secret to righteous living is to just understanding that righteousness is who you are by nature. Well, I thought we were by nature devoid and, you know, sinful and blah, blah. Yeah, that was before the blood of Jesus covered all that. You and I have been made the righteousness of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. That means the secret to tapping in to right living. The secret to breaking that addiction in your life is not the 12, 15, 800 step process. All those, those are good. That's not the answer. The answer is for you to look inside and say, that thing don't have no power over me because I'm a new man. Okay. Second Corinthians 5:17 
says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? What things have passed away? How many? You sure about that? All things. How much is all? All things. Everything. And all things have become what? Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us, man I'm jumping all kind of over at myself, but I just can't help it, I got to get to this. And has given us the ministry. Let me tell you what your ministry is. Your ministry, my ministry. Uh, we just, Brother Norman came last week. We had a great weekend. And one of the things he talked about was the heart of the fivefold ministry the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teacher. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is for the equipping, for the perfecting, for the encouraging for the shaping, for the molding of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. What is the ministry that we're called to do according to 2 Corinthians 5, 18? Man, that's good news. You know the best news to someone who is so deep in it they can't get out of it? I got your answer. And it ain't got nothing to do with you. You want, a free, you want to get free, I got your answer, and it ain't got nothing to do with you. The answer is the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means even when you were useless, what was it said? When you were of not of use, Romans chapter 5, when you were you was useless, he died for us. So maybe you still feel useless. The good news is, he still died for you. So the ministry of reconciliation is that in your uselessness, you've been reconciled to God through that cross. And so now you can step into everything that God has for you, even in the midst of you being dirty and messed up. And Let me tell you something. Do you know why they anointed with oil in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Because you can't wash oil off. See, the good thing about your dirtiness is all we need is a water hose and some Holy Ghost soap and we'll get you clean. The blood of Jesus washes that away. But the anointing that God has on your life, you can't wash that away. You ever got oil on something like your hair? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, back when I was growing up, when I was their age, I remember people, boy, they were shelling out the olive oil like it was... You know, like we were getting baptized. Glory to God. Lord, I lay hands on this person. And it just, you know, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And they were just rubbing it all on you. I mean, you couldn't hardly concentrate because you felt like you were taking an olive oil bath, you know. And that stuff is, you know, it smells great, but it's all, I mean, just all in you. You can't wash that off. I got news for you. No amount of dirtiness in your life can wash away the blood of Jesus that paid for your dirtiness. No amount of it. People are like, man, what's he talking about? I ain't heard this. This is called the gospel. John chapter 12. Go there real quick. 
John chapter 12. While you're turning there, how many of you know good work? Listen to me. Do you, how many of you believe that good works will get you salvation? You believe that? See, nobody believes that. Everybody knows it's the free gift of God. And brother, all you got to do is just repent and ask the Lord to come in your heart. Well, first of all, if that's true, then why do we think once we get born again, now we step over into this, now we got to live right in order to stay righteous. That don't work. And people who say, well, you just give, you know, you're just giving people a license to sin or you're just sloppy grace. Yeah, man, the best, you ever had a sloppy joe? I mean, that thing gets like all over the place. You know, ribs, they get real sloppy. Grace is sloppy. That's the whole point of it. Because we're so messy, we need something more sloppy to get all over us to wash it all up. Grace is undeserved power is what it is. It's favor on our lives. Grace is the empowerment to do something. Mercy is looking at us and then saying, oh, that's all right, we, we got, I got that covered. The Lord looks at you. I hear, this is what I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying right now. He looks at you and looks at your most disgusting mess and He goes, oh, that ain't nothing, I got that. Somebody just like got set free on that one. He looks at you and says, oh, that ain't that ain't. And you, you, we come to the altar, we go, Lord, 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 I'm so dirty. And he's like, look, would you, I got this. I got this. I already took care of it. The word repent, okay, doesn't mean go get your tissue because you're fixing to squall like a baby. The word repent simply means change of mind. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in here. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 30. Say verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Boy, that sounds familiar. Sounds like us. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn that I should, that I should heal them. That what? Does that sound like somebody who's trying to do us harm? I mean, even in the Old Testament, they were prophesying that Jesus was going to come to heal people. Not look at him and go, you should know better. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Now let's stop right there. That is a key. All right, John 10.10 10 says, Jesus said, I did not, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We know that that's an attribute of God. 
We know that Jesus, that's part of his mission statement. You know, if he pulls out his mission card and says, here's what I come to do, we can see that. This is part of that too. I come a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. That tells me that Jesus is looking for people who are in darkness, not for people who are in the light. That tells me that Jesus is looking for people who are broke, busted, disgusted, and look rough. Not people sitting up in the church building. Although, people sitting up in the church building are in darkness too. See, you can put lipstick on a pig. You can put a tuxedo on a pig. You can put perfume on a pig. And at the end of the day, it's what? So for all people that think religiously of themselves, you still a pig. We all were, and I use this word because I want you to understand something. Jesus never wanted us to focus on what we were. Stop focusing on what you were and focus on who you are. You were a pig. But I don't even know the analogy. What's the opposite of a pig? He loves bacon. What's the opposite of a pig? I don't even know. Now you are, I don't know, an eagle, a, a dove. I don't know. A white horse. I don't know. He's not looking at you as a pig. He's looking at you as a princess, as a prince of the most high king. All right, you ready? Here comes the kicker. Verse 47, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to what? Boy, I'm going to tell you what, that right there will shut a lot of churches down right there. A lot of Christians down right there. God did not come to judge you. He didn't come to judge you. You're an ugly woman, you know that? He didn't come to judge you. 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 But yet we as Christians think our mandate is to judge people. And that is so wrong, so contrary to the love of God. Listen, it is the love of God. It is the goodness of God that Romans says that leads people to the state of being at the point where they're ready to turn their mind around and follow Jesus. Repent. We've tried to beat people over the head. That, that ain't working. You know why? Because that's not anointed. That's not the gospel. That's not what God, that's not what Jesus had intended. Jesus himself said what? If any man hears my words and believe not, what? Boy, that right there, you should just stop right there. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to be judged. That's not what the scripture just said. Jesus himself said, I don't judge you. Jesus looked at them when they were spitting on him. He was in the most agonizing pain of his life. Beyond the physical was the spiritual pain that he was feeling because he was feeling the presence of his father turn away from him. 
And he looked before he did that, before he said, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The point, before he said that, he looked up and he said, Father, ring down fire on heaven from these crazy folk because they all cray cray. No, he said, Father, what did he say? Then why don't we do it? Because we like the law system better. Because it gives us something to look at and go, well, you see how pretty I am. Because I do all this. And you don't. Yeah, but you're still a pig. Mark chapter 21. Y'all going to just hold tight, right? I got just a few more things and then we... I'm trying to get to the clincher. It, you know what? Not Mark 21, because there ain't no Mark 21. I forgot to put the colon. Mark chapter 2. I was testing you, just seeing. Mark cha- Actually, my, my notes say Mark 215 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. This is a great picture of how Jesus related to us. Okay. Verse thir- We're going to start at verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitudes came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he went... To the worst of, of, at that time, tax collectors were not, you know, were they pretty much like they are today. <laughs> you know, nobody liked no tax collector. He said, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, They that are whole have no need of the physician. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, In our context, he's breaking bread with some folk that are sinners, especially in the eyes of the religious folk. He's breaking bread with them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, boy, they just ate up with it. Can you believe that preacher and him sitting over there eating with them folk? And Jesus looked at them and said, look here. People that are whole, people that are healed, have no need of the physician. That tells me that Jesus, once again, shows me a heart and the character of Jesus. Jesus came to do what? What is the oath that you took as a doctor at medical school? Is it still the same, the the doctor's oath? What is it, do no harm? We expect nothing less from our doctors from our physicians to do us harm. I mean, my gosh, if you go to the doctor and he makes you worse, 
you, why go to the doctor? But yet we think that Jesus is going to come and sit down and break. That would be insult. Jesus sat down and broke bread with them, and then he's going to look at them and tell them how disgusting they are and how they need to get themselves straight and get themselves right. No. What does he say? He said, look at here, you bunch of pharisaical, religious, fill in the blank, because we got all our kids in here this morning. What did he say? He said, the whole have no need of the physician, but only they that are sick. Saying, these folks are sick. What did I come to do? I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance, to change their mind. He said, I'm sitting down with them to, to eat. Let me tell you something. The best way you could call somebody to repentance. You want me to tell you the best, one of the best ways to do it? Invite them over and cook them some chicken. Don't invite them over for a Bible study. Everybody said, well, we'll just let that cat out of the bag. The pastor then said, don't invite nobody over for a Bible study. That's not what I said. <laughs> connect with them. Thank you, connect group host, home group people. <laughs> what do y'all do with y'all's connect group every week? Just about it. Y'all eating something. I mean, y'all ain't eating like a meal. You got little snacks, little drinks. Right. And, but then once a month, y'all eat? Right, they eat. What day is that again that y'all eat? We haven't put it in the calendar. We'll announce that when they put it in the calendar. Why? Because there's something about the breaking of bread that opens people up. And even Jesus knew how to tap into this. But the Pharisees, boy, they didn't like that. I mean, what do you, let me ask you this. You and I are covered in oil and the anointing, and those folks are in darkness. Well, we're the light, and they're darkness. So, the Bible says that light and darkness have no what? Fellowship. So, what do you think is going to happen when you sit down and break bread with them? You think that darkness is going to overwhelm the light? Never has. Actually, darkness is not a thing in and of itself. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Boy, that's good right there. So their darkness is simply the absence of you being in their life. And so now how do you bridge that gap? Chicken? Sweet tea? Well, I'm going to tell you what, I mean... Uh, Granny Carol and Papa Bill, they ask us to come over to their house. I'll listen to whatever you're going to I don't care what you're going to talk about. I don't care what we're going to watch. I'm coming. Why? Because I know she's going to have rose, and she's going to have mashed potatoes, and she's going to have green beans, and she's going to have sweet tea and Coca-Cola, and she's going to love us, and guess what? And then there's going to be dessert. Yay. But I'm open because my belly's full. I ain't got nowhere to go. And now they can talk to us and minister to us because they have fed us. Did not Jesus do this in Mark chapter 2? We need to put that on our connect group flyer and the website. Eating chicken for Jesus. 
Everybody laughs because everybody knows what's the best way to get to someone's heart. What's the best way to open them up? Invite them over and feed them and expect nothing else. You love them. You feed somebody. They, I promise you they will, they will throw up on you their life story. They might not do it the first time. They might not do it the second time. But you keep feeding them. And they gonna, eventually they're going to come back and go, Why are you being so nice to me? And you go, I just love you. God loves you. And then when they ask you, why are you being so nice to me? And you say, because I love you and because God loves you. Their heart's open and now the word of the Lord comes to you saying, and you go, because God told me, and you begin to read their mail. Because God told me that thing you've been dealing with for three months. If you'll give it to the Lord, I'll pray with you right now. Bless God and we'll fix that. And then you pray with them. They ain't born again. You pray with them. And the thing gets solved, and now you fed them chicken 18 times. And now you've prayed with them, and they done got healed. And the boss likes them. They done got a raise. You're going to tell me that they're not interested in knowing what church you go to and how to get hooked up with Jesus? Romans says it is the goodness of God that leads people to that point. Let me say this. Let me, let, 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 me, let, me, let me try to slide this in before we close, okay? In Mark chapter 11, you know, some people think that forgiveness is like the unpardonable sin. I want to touch on this just for a minute. Because it's hard. It's, we think unforgiveness is the unpardonable sin. We think that for everything else in our lives, in a believer's life, or even in a sinner's life for that matter, is really we can work through. But unforgiveness, man, you know that Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 11, he said this. <coughs> Excuse me, didn't mean to do that. Mark chapter 11, verse 26, or verse 25. Let's go to verse 23. He said, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. How many of you believe that is a principle? Okay? That transcends old and new covenant. I mean, it's in both. We see that in the new covenant. Paul talked about calling things that be not. Paul talked about the... the um, watching your word. Paul talked about those things. We see that as a pattern in the Old and the New Covenant. Okay? Verse, 30, verse 24. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. How many of you believe that is also a both covenant principle? Uh, Romans, which is the New Testament. Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart and what? Confess with your mouth, you shall be, because it is with the heart that man believes, but with the what? Confession is what? Made unto salvation. So we understand that as a principle. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive... Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. 
question. You're telling me, now go to 1 John. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 2. You're telling me that if I don't forgive someone, my Heavenly Father won't forgive me. Don't answer it out loud because I don't want nobody to get embarrassed. That's right, Pastor, that's exactly right. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Is unforgiveness, yes or no, is unforgiveness separate from sin? When you, un, when you unforgive somebody. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to shake it up. When you not, you not forgiving somebody, okay, is that sin? Yes or no? Okay, so we established that. That is sin, okay? If you hate somebody, you despise them, is that sin? Yes or no? Yes. If you uh, covet Someone else's vehicle. Is that sin? Yes or no? Okay. Alright. If you lie to your spouse, or you lie to your mama, or you lie to your teacher, is that, yes or no, sin? Okay. Was that not covered under the blood? Yes or no? Okay. So, is unforgiveness in a class in and of itself above every other sin? So then why do we believe, now based on that verse, why do we believe that if we don't forgive, how can our Heavenly Father forgive us? Now listen to me, before you answer, before you think, go down that road. I know what unforgiveness does in our hearts. Unforgiveness will kill you. Unforgiveness will breed resentment and, and discontent and a root of bitterness. I mean, unforgiveness will kill you. But let me tell you something. Unforgiveness does not separate you from the love of God that was shed for you. It separates you from accessing the benefits of that love because you live in a state of turmoil but it doesn't separate and change His love and His propitiation. Okay, let me, let me say it this way. What is an advocate? Because 1 John says too, says, Now brothers, if you sin, I mean, you ain't got to, but if you do, I mean, to me that's powerful. You writing these things to us in the event that we might sin? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I'm waking up sometimes and I'm... And, and, I don't wake up going, okay, I might not sin today. I'm not saying i got to sin consciousness, but I'm saying let's live in the reality of the world, okay? We all have flesh, right? I mean, you wake up and you ain't slept good and you grumpy. I mean, if I had to roll over and look at her every morning, I'd be grumpy. I'm talking to, I'm just picking on Joel again, okay? You understand what I'm saying? How many of you know that, that we live... There's a principle that we understand it, we know the reality of it, but yet we're being perfected into the things of God. And so we, we live in this realm. Okay, so we, we sin. 
Whoops, I didn't tell the whole truth. I told a part. We lied. So what do we do? He says, if you do that, we have an advocate. What is an advocate? He is one who speaks for you. He is one that goes to the Lord on behalf of you and gives you the verbal... Uh, he, he is the one that says, oh, hang on, judge. I, I, listen, just I got this. Is that not what an advocate is? I'm pulling up my devotional from this morning because I, I want you to hear this. Is that, not what, is that not what an advocate is? An advocate is one that stands on behalf of us to present to the judge on behalf of us. My question to you is, what do we need an advocate for if every time we mess up, we're going to get smacked down? That defeats the whole purpose of an advocate. If we're going to represent ourselves in the court of high justice and law in before God Almighty, boy, we, I mean, we just might as well just throw the book at us and send us off because, I mean, that ain't going to work. We don't. We have an advocate with the Father. I mean, His Son is our advocate. <laughs> Come on now. His Son is our advocate. And so now the enemy who's cross-examining is saying, but Lord, stand up for me. Because this is the enemy. Not really, but this is the enemy. So, so, uh, so, so come here and stand with me. So our advocate, the Holy Spirit, is on our corner. And, and uh, Will, you back there? Stand up for me. Will is the high judge. He's God, right? And so we're standing there, and, we're, we're, you know, and the court comes to order. Click, click. You know, the court comes to order. We're here today because, you know, Pastor Lawrence Thomas woke up this morning and was grumpy to his wife. I was going to take that one. I wasn't going to uncover you. And so I say, Lord, you know, you're, yeah, I'm, and the, the advocate's standing there going, to, listen, no matter what he says, the advocate's telling me, no matter what he says, just take some coffee. Just take some coffee. Just say, just say, I plead the blood. No matter what, the, no matter what nasty looks at, no matter what he says, whatever he says to me, I plead the blood, okay? And so he says, but Lord, uh, sir, I have evidence, what, uh, exhibit one, I have a video recording here that I'd like to present of me barking at my wife this morning. And having unforgiveness, let me just say it this way, I have unforgiveness in my heart towards one of my elders. I barked at my wife and I have unforgiveness in my heart towards one of my elders. Right? Oh, I mean, I mean, how can God forgive you? Because, I mean, it's not like you're just unforgiving somebody. I mean, you unforgiving. <laughs> I have unforgiveness in my heart towards an elder. Because he took the last piece of roast last Sunday, and I was mad. So I have an unforgiveness and bitterness all week long. And so he presents the case to the judge. And the judge looks at me and says, how do you plead? And everything within us wants to say, I'm guilty. I did it. I know I did it. But our advocate, the Holy Spirit, is going, listen. Jesus is going, just shut your mouth. All you got to say is, I plead the blood. 
He looks at me. He says, how do you plead? And I go, I, I, I plead the blood. And he goes, uh, the attorney, I would like my attorney to speak for me. And now the attorney walks up and presents his evidence, which is his blood on the altar. And the judge looks at it and God looks at it. And the, and the, and, and the enemy's going, but I got video proof. And so he puts the video proof up on the big screen and it's just snow. And he's like, well, I, I know it. I was there. I heard him. Snow. Why? Because his blood was the propitiation for our sin. Thank you, guys. You're going to be seated. It was the propitiation for our sin. Well, now you're just giving people a license to sin. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to live a more righteous lifestyle. Knowing that I can mess up, knowing that I can sin, knowing that I can have unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody, and the love of God which is shed abroad in my heart convicts me and says, Son, I love you. I forgave you. Why can't you forgive that person? And it causes me to go, you know what? You're right. I forgive. Now, am I forgiving because I'm living a righteous lifestyle? No, I forgive because the righteousness within me and the love of God that's been shed abroad now gives me the power to love. In addition, the Holy Spirit is also called in that verse paraclete, which means helper in the Greek. He, because he acts as Christ's substitute on earth. When Christ in John 14, 16 designates himself as a paraclete, Jesus said in John, he said, it's needful that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to be your helper. The same as the Holy Spirit. The word must not be understood as applying to Christ in the same sense as in 1 John 2 where it refers to our substitutionary advocate who pleads our cause with the Father. It should rather be taken as he who pleads God's cause with us. So now the enemy wants to take us to court and God says, you shut your mouth and he shuts it down and the Holy Spirit begins to minister to us and goes, I got this. Mm. I got this. And so now when I, when I wrestle with things that I wrestle with in my own individual life as a man, as a pastor, as a, as a husband, as a father and I feel beat up and discouraged, the Holy Spirit comes and He pleads, not my case, but God's. And He goes, look here, I got this. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Boy, that's powerful. I got this. God has got you. The Holy Spirit has got you. And if you're here this morning, you're not here by accident. You're here because God wanted you to hear this 
message because it will revolutionize your life. We don't forgive because if we don't forgive, He won't forgive us. He's already forgiven us. He said it, we said it this morning. Scarcely will a man die for somebody with the right cause, but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet, Christ died for the ungodly. Stand with me. You know, I try to get this and, 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 and express what I feel like is the heart of God, but I can't, I can't do it as good as the Scripture does. I can't even come close. And the Scripture says this, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world that's powerful what would the world look like now if we took this message out there and instead of him hawing around and, and, and making people feel less than what they are we make them feel more than where they are what if we did the ministry of Jesus and all of us Every one of us in this room decided to pick somebody in our circle of influence and you went after the one that you knew was the roughest of the rough and you purposely said, why don't you come eat dinner with us? Can we take you out to dinner? What would it look like then? People, listen to me, sinners and people who are bound up and destitute of life and light are not looking for someone to beat them. They're looking for someone who will love them. We have this mindset that if we love somebody, we accept what they do. No, I love you in spite of what you do. He loves me in spite of what I have done or am doing. He loves us. And that love, that, that ministry of reconciliation comes out of a heart of love. The, a word of prophecy. What is a word of prophecy for? A word of prophecy is a word to give somebody some encouragement, to call that thing out, to give them some direction. It draws them in. Listen, I've seen it firsthand. Folk leaving here the other night, folk that have left here at this church, well, we've prophesied to them. They've left and they've gone, oh my gosh, how did they know that? I feel God calling me to do something. And what do we do? We grab a hold of them and we say, God loves you. I love you. Thank you, Lord. Everybody bow your heads. Let's just go to the Lord for a time. Let's just see what the Lord wants to do these next few moments. Hallelujah. Father God, your heart is to love. Your heart is to minister. Anybody in here that needs ministry,
Anybody in here that needs a word from you? Lord, we just open that up right now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, I hear the Lord. I hear the Lord just said, I already gave a word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your love. <clears throat> Look at me for just a moment. You know, the Lord, in my heart, what I feel the Lord expressing is acceptance. I don't know how He accepts you. Not only does He, you know, like, well, okay, we'll let you in. No, I mean, like, He goes, man, I like you. He's like, I like you. Come on, I, got, I want you to walk with me. That's what I sense the Lord saying. I like, I got, I, not only I got this, but I like you. You say, but I can't, I can't you don't understand. I, I, I like you. Come on, I got this. I got this stuff and this is just all, come on, I got this. We got a water hose up back. I got you, come on. He looks at you and he does not see anything in your life that he can't take care of. I mean, he looks at you and it's almost like he's like, almost like he's laughing as if that, I can't do nothing with that. You on your own on that one, Big Daddy. No, he's got this. He's got you. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've said and done this morning. Lord, I turn this over to you now. And I say, I've done what I feel like I need to say, what I feel like I need to do. Now, Lord, I ask that you stir it up in us. You bring revelation and light and insight into those things which we need. In the name of Jesus. Casey, would you... Uh, would you and Michelle come up? I want you guys to pray over Morris and Sarah. In about 45 minutes, Morris is going to begin, Morris and Sarah is going to begin um, the traveling as we speak right now in Mexico. He's going to be teaching three sessions back to back. Um, 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, he's just going to be ministering. So we want to Lift them up in prayer. I don't know, you know, for people who have never, I mean, it, I don't know how to describe it. Ministry, ministering to people, giving a word, message, preaching, whatever you want to call it, it gives, it takes it out of you. Some people even equi uh, equate it to working an eight-hour day and one, uh, one 45-minute or an hour presentation or sermon is like working an eight-hour day. It just... There's something out of when Billy Graham would would minister. Uh, they say Billy Graham when he would when he would minister the next day he wouldn't even take any phone calls, wouldn't do anything. He would sleep till twelve o'clock because it just took it out of him. And so I know that Morris and them in a strange country, in Mexico, staying in an unfamiliar bed, not their house. He's going to minister three times. In a five-hour period, that's a lot. But the anointing comes on us and, and allows us to do that. So would you pray for them? Hold them up in prayer, you and Michelle, and then uh, just dismiss us.
in prayer. Don't forget Wednesday night. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word, Lord, has been brought forth today, Father. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us so much, Father, that you spared nothing. And we just praise you, Father, and give you all the glory, Father. And, Father, I just ask you right now, Father, as Morris and Sarah, Father, as they go and, and minister, Father, Lord, your servants, Father, our brothers and sisters, Father, our friends, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you just be with them, Father. Holy Spirit, I just pray, Lord, that your anointing just flow in them and through them, God. Father, I just pray, Lord, for an overabundance of energy, Father, and an overabundance of excitement, Father, in their message, Father, as they speak and they teach. Father, I just pray your anointing that just to be all over them and all around them, Father. And we just pray a hedge of protection around them, Father, as they minister, Father. We just declare that no weapon that the enemy has sent their way will prosper. We just call it, Father, dead right now in Jesus' name. And we just say, Lord, that your life, Father, and your life abundantly, Father, just reigns in them, Father, and it just radiates out of them, Father, as they teach and they share you and your word and your love, Father. And we just pray, Lord, right now that you go with us, Father. You lead us and you guide us, Father. Lord, help us to, Lord, each and every one of us, Father, change our thinking, Lord, from not the way we think, Lord, but think the way you think about us, God. And we just give you all the glory and all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.